Thank you, choir. That's the best rendition of that reading I think I've ever done, where God's voice was sung. That was wonderful. It's an amazing reading. And I love how the choir is able to bring the profundity of, of, of God's breaking through the clouds uh, in that reading, uh, which makes it all the more amazing how much Peter didn't get what was going on. You got to love this guy. Here he is on a mountaintop. He's experienced an epiphany, a truly transcendent moment where, where time and space and light and dark all coalesce into something beyond human words. And Peter can't quite be quietly reverent during the time because he's Peter. So he says, oh, good thing I'm here. Good thing I brought my iPhone. Group selfie, everyone. Oh, Jesus, you stand there. Elijah, you there. Moses, you're, you're kind of short. You get in front. And I'll, I'll post this. It'll be awesome. This will be great. Okay, that's not exactly the words he used. But his insistence on building booths or tents, some structure for Jesus and Elijah and, Mo and Moses came from the, that same need to, to, to freeze and preserve, memorialize what should have been a quiet, spiritual experience. He wanted to keep it. And I so understand the impulse. Because this past week, uh, we were up in Quebec um, skiing with friends. And I wanted to take so many pictures. Pictures of the sun rising over the frozen St. Lawrence River. Pictures of the moonlight down on the ice. Pictures of every ski trail that I was on even though I knew that the pictures I took of the sunrise on day two and three would look exactly like the pictures that I took on day one, even though I knew that the pictures of these particular Nordic ski trails would look like the pictures of every other Nordic ski trail I've ever taken, right? And it took a while for me to stop thinking about how I was going to share this, these pictures, and instead just be there, just soak it in, just enjoy the beauty and the spectacle of that place. And so I understand Peter's wanting to say something. And when God's voice says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. I bet it shut Peter up in a hurry. Listen to him. I've always thought that that meant for Peter and James and John and us, for that matter, to listen to all of Jesus' teachings. And absolutely, I think that's there. I also wonder if some of what God was saying to Peter and James and John was, listen to what's going on right now as these three are talking in front of you. This scene on top of the mountain is taking place at a crucial turning point in Jesus' ministry. Up to now, he's been walking around Galilee for an extended time with these 12 disciples and numerous others. He's been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been healing, and he's been performing signs and miracles and, and, and hanging out with all manner 
of people, ordinary and extraordinary, lowly and mighty and marginalized. And now, Luke says, Jesus will set his face toward Jerusalem, where there's going to be confrontation, where there's going to be trouble. Jesus' message of love and grace and of God's desire for justice and mercy is going to run up against the political and religious status quo of the powers and principalities of Jerusalem. And it's not going to be pretty. Jesus is going to need all the support he can get. And there, up on the mountain, are Moses and Elijah, arguably the most famous leaders of the Jewish faith, appearing with Jesus. And they all talk together. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us what's said here. Possibly because Peter and James and John were so overwhelmed that they weren't really paying attention. What we do have are, are paintings of various artists' interpretation of the transfiguration. And they, they usually show the three of them, Moses, Elijah, and, Moses, or, and Jesus, uh, standing a bit apart and all a glow and a soft divine light with a conversation going on. Moses and Elijah are presumably offering Jesus some words of great wisdom from the ages. And I think I would put money on the fact that there was a little fetching. <laughs> These are three great Jewish leaders after all. And so it's pretty easy for me to imagine that as the three of them were talking about what Jesus needed to move forward in his ministry, at some point Jesus must have said, you know, for three years I've been traveling around with these 12 guys and some days I don't think they've heard a word I've said. And I can just imagine at that point Peter jumping up and saying, hey, this is great, I'm here, I can build you three booths. And Jesus rolling his eyes at Elijah and Moses as if to say, see what I mean? And then I imagine Moses saying, three years and 12 guys, try 40 years and thousands of Israelites. They didn't listen any better. And all three of them laughing ruefully. And Jesus still laughing a little, saying to Moses, okay, so you did this for 40 years. How'd you keep at it? And Moses saying, I remembered. I remembered the burning bush. And I remembered the time I was on Mount Sinai with God getting the commandments. I kept thinking of what it was going to be like in the promised land. Sure, some days I was ready to throw the whole lot of them into a ditch and leave. But I kept talking with God. I kept remembering. I kept going. And I imagine Elijah saying something like, the thing is, you got to pay attention to what's God's voice and what isn't. When I had that big showdown with the prophets of Baal, there was plenty of fire and flood. 
And afterwards, in the cave, there were earthquakes and lightnings and windstorms. But God wasn't in any of that drama. God's voice was in the still, small silence after all of those big things happened. It's in the stillness that you have to be listening for God. And I imagine the three of them nodding, thoughtful. I can imagine Elijah continuing, look, Jesus, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. You've got a rough road ahead of you. There's going to be a lot of storm. There's going to be a lot of lightning. There's going to be a lot of earthquake, a lot of drama. But I'm telling you, God's not in the drama. God is in the still, small voice. God is in the sound of silence. You got to listen for that. You got to hang on to that. That's what's going to get you through. That's what's going to keep you on the right path. You got to listen. Listening is so hard. That's God's main commandment to the disciples. Listen to him. It's so hard for us to do. Partly because we're busy, partly because we're distracted. But that deep listening, it asks a lot of us. It asks us to put ourselves aside and really pay attention, not just to the words of what someone's saying to us, but to what's underneath those words and take them into ourselves Listening means opening ourselves up to being changed by what it is that someone's saying to us. And even if we don't change our opinion, we're changed in the way that we understand the person who's speaking to us. In the grocery store, when I'm a little bit on autopilot, I often ask the checkout clerk, hey, how are you holding up? And the response is usually, I'm doing okay, or fine, and there's not much listening needed there. But sometimes, they'll launch into a story about how they're really doing, which is the point of my asking, even when I'm on remote control or on automatic pilot, and it catches me up a little short, and suddenly I realize I have to recalibrate my Let's just get the shopping done here. And realize I'm here to listen to this person. When they tell me about what a cruddy day it's been. And how horrible the customers have been treating them. And how rough it's been. It takes a different kind of presence. And and sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to do that shift. Now I could just stop saying, hey, how are you holding up? But I can't stop that. Well, and when it happens, mm-hmm. it transforms the experience of getting your groceries. Right. It, it makes your whole day. I leave with way more than just the groceries. Right. I leave with, with a, a human connection and something wonderful. And yeah, that makes my whole day. So this morning in prayer, Carmen brought up um, the, the sudden death this week of Paul Farmer, who was a physician who really listened to folks that other people in the medical establishment often passed over, people who didn't have access to good health care. And his life of really listening to them, of taking into himself what their needs were, 
led him to transform the world really of public health care. It made a difference in the world. Mm. Made me think of a line from David Augsburger, which is that he, he writes that being heard is so close to being loved that for most people, it's basically indistinguishable. Being heard is like being loved. And so if we say we love Jesus, that means we need to listen to him. (laughs) Listen to what he said, take it into ourselves, allow ourselves to be transfigured, to be transformed, listening so that we are changed in who we are in the world. Which is what the word transfiguration means. It's about being changed. If listening is akin to loving, then if we say that we love Jesus' people, which is everybody, not just members of the tribe, including the folks we don't like or who don't like us, and loving them means listening to them, really listening taking what they say into ourselves, into our hearts, into our lives, listening hard enough that we're changed, we're transfigured. And that's really hard. That's really hard because it requires a certain vulnerability, a a willingness to put our own agendas on hold so that we can be open to someone else's experience. Uh, it's, It's... tough because, well, one of the, here's an automatic pilot thing, is when someone shares a story and I have a similar story, I want to say, oh, I can relate to what you're saying because here's my story. Well, suddenly I've hijacked the conversation. Or you've at least stopped listening because you're thinking about your own story. Right. And usually when we're in a conversation, three quarters of our brain is occupied with formulating our own clever or devastating response to the person we're talking with. Listening means sitting with someone in the midst of their experience. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's painful, or awkward, or guilt-inducing, without immediately stepping in to fix the problem, or to explain the problem, or to try to make everything better, it's really, really hard, and it's really, really rare, which is why when someone experiences it, it feels just like being loved. Being listened to is as hard and rare as being loved. And like loving, really loving, listening, really listening, requires us to get ourselves out of the center. And let God and another person's experience take center stage for a while. So we're coming to the end of Black History Month. And it's, it's marvelous, and it's not enough, right? We should have Black History Year. It should be all the time, all year. Um, and um, I've been involved in anti-racism training for a couple of decades now, and leading and taking and, and all of that. But... Um, Over the last couple of years, with the murder of George Floyd um, and the revival of the Black Lives Matter movement, I've been convicted again 
at how much of our history as a nation I don't know, or I don't know well, or I don't know it from the black perspective. And so I've continued to, to work to, to, to learn to educate myself, to be open to hearing from other folks so that I come to understand what it is to be white in this culture and what it is to not be white in this culture and how white supremacy is built into the very building blocks of our American democracy and what it's like to walk through this world in my skin with all the white advantage that I have. Rosma Menachem, who wrote a marvelous book, My Grandmother's Hands, talks about using the word white advantage rather than white privilege as a way of describing the reality of what is. This process of listening and education is something that I feel compelled to do both as a white woman as a, and as a person of faith. And I've noticed something about myself as I've done this. Because when it gets uncomfortable, which is pretty much the second second of listening, my immediate response is to want to fix things, to want to do something to make it better, to want to change things. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that my real job is just to sit down and sit back and listen and take the stories of people of color into my life and let the discomfort of that change me and change how I go into the world. To listen enough to be willing to be changed, even if I'm not quite sure what that change will be or where it will lead, to listen trusting that in God's hands, I can be transfigured to be just a little bit, maybe, of making the world a more whole and holy place. I believe that this kind of listening in all kinds of situations in our lives changes us and changes the world because it opens us up to God's possibilities, to God's transfiguration. And remember the very definition of transfiguration is change, deep cellular change. The, the, the root word for transfiguration in Greek in the New Testament is the same root word that gives us metamorphosis. In our reading, Jesus' appearance is transfigured before the disciples. But on the way back down the mountain, it's the disciples who are really transfigured. They have now a new understanding of who Jesus is and how they are to be his followers. It changes their who and it changes their how. Nothing will be the same as they follow Jesus now from the lovely hills of Galilee to the confrontation of Jerusalem. And I think it's no wonder that the scripture says that they didn't tell anyone for a while. I think they were trying to figure it out. They were trying to understand what it was that was going on in them. And so this Sunday is the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany. For weeks, we've been hearing stories that tell us about who Jesus is and what he's about. 
that tell us who we are and what we're called to be about. And with this transfiguration story, with this very week, our lives as people of faith shift because on Ash Wednesday, on Wednesday of this week, we'll begin our, obser- our observance of Lent and are walking through to Holy Week toward crucifixion and yes, toward resurrection, but first toward Holy Week and toward crucifixion. So we invite y'all this year to take another step on your journey of being transfigured, transformed into being a Jesus person in the world. Beginning with Ash Wednesday, which is just three days from now, we'll travel together, listening to Jesus, listening for God's still, small voice, listening to our calling to love and to serve and to pray and to witness to the awesome task of being part of God's healing, the brokenness in our souls and in this broken world. On Ash Wednesday, we will symbolize that with ashes on the forehead or on the hand. But the real transfiguration will be in hearts changed and lives transfigured. So we hope that you'll come and listen with us through Lent. Amen. Amen. Our next hymn, I think, is 2103 in the Faith We Sing, which is the black, the small back book. <laughs>